Ils ne reculent pas aux offenses humaines. Ils ne se point frappés comme le reste des hommes. Aussi, l'orgueil leur sert de collier. La violence est le vêtement qui les enveloppe. L'iniquité sont sur les entrailles. Les pensées de le cœur se conjurent. Ils raillent et pas méchamment d'opprimer. Ils profèrent des discours hautains. Ils lèvent leur bouche jusqu'aux cieux. Et leur langue se promène sur toute la terre. Voilà pourquoi son peuple se tourne de leur côté. Ils avalent l'eau d'abondamment. Et ils disent comment Dieu serait-il, comment le Très-Haut connaîtrait-il. Ainsi sont les méchants, toujours heureux et accroissent leur richesse. C'est donc en vain que j'ai purifié mon cœur et que j'ai lavé mes mains dans l'innocence. Chaque jour, je suis frappé. Tous les matins, mon châtiment est là et je dis, je veux parler comme eux. Voici, je trahis de la race de tes enfants. Quand j'ai réfléchi la l'issue pour m'éclairer, la difficulté fut grande à mes yeux jusqu'à ce que j'eusse pénétré dans les sanctuaires de Dieu. Et j'eusse pris garde au sort final des méchants. Oui, tu les places sur des voies glissantes, tu les fais tomber et les mets en ruine. Et quoi, en un instant, les voilà détruits. Ils sont enlevés anéantis par un fin soudain, comme un songe au réveil. Seigneur, à ton réveil, tu repousses leurs images. Lorsque mon cœur s'est glissé, et que je me sentais percée dans mes entrailles. J'étais stupide et sans intelligence. J'étais à ton corps comme les bêtes. Cependant, je suis toujours avec toi. Tu m'assises de la main droite. Tu me conduirais pour ton conseil. Puis, tu me recevrais dans la gloire. Quel autre ai-je au ciel que toi? Et sur la terre, je ne prends plus plaisir qu'en toi. Ma chair et mon cœur peuvent se consumer. Je suis là toujours le rocher de mon cœur et mon portage, car voici ceux qui s'éloignent de toi périssent. Tu anéantis tous ceux qui te font infidèle. Pour moi, m'approcher de Dieu, c'est mon bien. Je place mon refuge dans le Seigneur éternel, afin de raconter toutes tes œuvres. Amen. We don't normally read the entire song or the entire chapter, but uh, Kirby's in. Thank you for doing that, Kirby. Um, I want to also thank James and CG for serving us, Shaheen, who is here, Kirby, who helped set up, and Paul as well, uh, serving us this morning by arranging the, the chairs and getting this place ready. Thank you for that. If you want to help serve our community, there are opportunities for that through our food pantry that uh, we have for the next two weeks. We're going to pause it for about a month and start up again in September. There's an opportunity to volunteer there. And then, of course, every week, um, there's an opportunity to volunteer and, and helping us set up to at 10 a.m. before everyone arrives. So I want to encourage you for that. Um, so we are starting a new series today on the Psalms. We call this the, the Psalms of New York um, because every week we're going to explore a Psalm that focuses on our experiences in New York. Um, and so uh, today we're going to begin by going on a journey to explore something that we've all experienced before. It's the trap of comparison. And that's 
trying, that's the constant pressure you feel, maybe as you size yourself up in relation to others, what they have. If, they've, if you're in a studio, you compare yourself to the, someone who's got a one bedroom, right? Or if you've got one bedroom to the person who's got two bedrooms, right? Like, it's all around us. In fact, I've, when, when Jyoti and I had an opportunity to leave the city, I realized when I was around, like, green stuff, like grass and trees and, like, the ocean and mountains, that, wow, like, in New York, you're surrounded by human achievement, right? It's skyscrapers. It's what people have made and built with their hands. And to be out of that sort of environment or out of this environment just reminded me of how great and vast the world is and how I often, there's this pressure to perform and to achieve and to accomplish. And sometimes when when we're navigating the city, we compare what we've accomplished to what others have accomplished. We've all experienced the trap of comparison. Maybe this morning as you jumped on social media and you saw someone else's highlight reel or how happy somebody else looks, you immediately began to compare it to your experience today. Well, in today's psalm, the writer compares his life to people that he considers more wicked than himself. And he makes this comparison and it makes him almost walk away from God. In fact, if you have a Bible, if you, if you don't today, it's okay. But generally, this psalm, Psalm 73, that Curvy read for us, is titled, When the Wicked Prosper. It's the, the writer writing from that perspective of seeing the prosperity of others and the effect it had upon his own heart. And we can all relate, even if you don't like to consider other people wicked. We all can relate to this. Like, think about the last time you jumped online and you saw, you heard about someone committing a crime and getting away with it. You might not have articulated it this way, but it's really what you feel when you see the wicked prosper. Like, that's not fair. They shouldn't be getting away with that. They should not be able to go free in the way that that, that they've been set free. Or when's the last time you looked at someone that, and you saw yourself as more deserving than they were? They got a promotion. They got recognized, but you didn't get recognized. You may not have articulated that this way, but you saw someone else who wasn't as deserving getting promoted and prospering. All right, even if you haven't experienced that, let's say as if you, if you have a sibling, if you've ever said, why does my brother get to stay up late and not me? Or why does my sister get this and not me? You've essentially complained because you saw the prosperity of someone else in comparison to you. Or if you jumped on social media and you saw your ex and they seemed so happy without you, you might have like, God, why do the wicked prosper, God? Right? This is not just. The point is we've all experienced this to some degree. And we compare our lives to others and we wonder why them and not us. We've been trying. We're really trying, God. Why is it that they have the things that we want? And today the writer of the psalm did that. And it almost made him walk away from God. And what changed it was drawing near to God. So as we think about that trap of comparison, when we, we, we sense that we're going to go there, right? Like we're about to enter that trap. We sense that we're comparing ourselves. This is a lesson for us that we can draw near to God. And as we do, two things are going to happen. We hope that two things will happen. And before we get there, though, I want you to think about, though, make this personal. What are the people and the circumstances where you tend to make a comparison to others. Think about that. The situations and the circumstances where you are tempted to make a comparison. 
So how does drawing near to God help? Well, the first, drawing near to God brings perspective, all right? It brings perspective. So the writer of this psalm, it's Asaph. Asaph was a musician, much like James and C.G., or Sarah, or Sharon on the tambourine. They were a musician. He was a musician in King David's uh, during his reign. And he would lead Israel in a psalm of praise. And his job was essentially to give thanks, constantly give thanks and give praise. And he was also someone that David looked to for counsel. But Asaph has had enough. Listen to what he says in verse 1. It's again on, uh, on the paper there in front of you. He writes, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He was about to stumble. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, what's going on with the wicked that makes him almost slip or almost stumble? Well, he compares himself to them and he's jealous because here are people who don't fear God. And you know what he notices when he looks at their lives? He says, they don't suffer like other people do. They don't experience the same hardships as others. Their hearts are full of evil. They seem to prosper, especially in wealth. They're proud and self-important and they don't pay attention to God or his commands. They've built their success by oppressing others. They're violent, and they don't think they have to answer to God one day. They don't think that God sees. And this is when Asaph almost slips. By thinking something, he later regrets. Look at verse 13. After going through all of their experience of prosperity, this is what he almost says, or how he almost slips. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. And wash my hands in innocence. For all day, all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Translation. He sees their prosperity and says, well, I've been wasting my time. It's been pointless to keep my heart clean. Have you ever felt like that? You've been trying to keep your heart clean. You've been trying to do what's right. You try to be a good person. You try to live the life that God wants. You try to pursue Him. And it actually ends up worse for you than for people who, that's not even on their radar. Like, they don't seem to be going through the same things that you're going through. And you're really trying and you see their prosperity and it makes you want to quit. You say, God, I'm trying, but you've got to help me out here. I see you do things for other people, but you're not doing it for me. People who don't even care about you. What am I doing all of this for? All in vain have I tried. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Because my experience, despite trying, is rebuke, is pain and suffering and what feels like your discipline. We have different things in life that make us say, this is pointless. For some of you, it's morality. Well, God, I'm not changing. This is pointless. Or for some of you, it's opportunity. I'm not getting the opportunity that I want. This is pointless. All in vain have I been seeking you. Or comfort. As soon as I, I get closer to you, God, everything in life falls apart. This is pointless. Relationships. The person or people I love in life aren't changing. Seeking you is pointless or injustice in the world. Society will never change, and your church doesn't even care. This is pointless. Or unanswered prayer. God, 
I'm asking you, but you're not answering. This is pointless. See, here's the thing. Whatever makes you say this is pointless also reveals what you think is the point. All right. Whenever you say serving you has been pointless, it begs the question, what do you think is the point of serving God? And you'll discover that's what you're really after. Anytime you say serving you has been pointless, it reveals to you what your true God is. It's what you're really after. Let me give you a, little, a small little illustration here. Like, How many of you have ever experienced uh, an anniversary or a Christmas party where you all had the agreement that you wouldn't get gifts for each other. Anybody? Like, or like, hey, the, nothing more than five bucks, ten bucks, right? And there's always somebody who breaks the agreement, who like comes up with a gift and now it's awkward and you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get you anything. I want you to imagine in that situation where you had the agreement, where you, you weren't going to get a gift and that person gets you a gift and you say, oh, I, I'm so sorry, I didn't, I didn't get you anything. And they say, all in vain did I give you this gift. What would that communicate to you about what they are after? Well, the gift really wasn't for them. It was for, for you. It was for themselves, right? It's for what they can attain. It's, it's about, it's transactional. It's God being able to, or you being able to reciprocate. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? When we treat God in that way, we treat God in a transactional relationship as if this is only useful, if you, in what you can give me and how you can reciprocate, this is in, in what you owe me or what I deserve because of what I give to you. There are times in our lives when we say, it's been pointless to serve you, God, and it begs a question, what is the point? And so here's the test of idolatry. Do you serve God because he's useful or because you find him beautiful? Or some people have said it this way, do you seek God for his face or just for what's in his hands. Now I want you to I want you to know God is generous. He is a loving God. He's a gracious father who loves to give and we don't ever have to feel sorry about going to him with our need and asking him for whatever is on our heart. We don't have to feel shy about asking. He invites us to ask. But there comes a point in our lives when he will test us. When maybe in the midst of that comparison, we don't get whatever we think we deserve and we're tempted to say this has been pointless and it's an opportunity for us to draw near to God. And in doing so, as I said before, there's perspective. Notice what happens to Asaph, verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discern their end. So he goes into the presence of God. That's what's meant by the sanctuary. It's probably a, a public gathering of worship, much like this. It brings perspective. He's with. It's probably in community with other people, or maybe at a dinner table. It could be for you uh, uh, with others in your apartment, or if you're reflecting, drawing near to God on your commute. I don't know what it is for you, all right? But the point is he goes near to God in the midst of that, and he discerns what's true. Being near to God, or maybe if it's in, in public with others, it, it brings sanity back to him. Oh, I could see the futility of the things that I'm craving and that I'm envious of now. I could see how they don't ultimately satisfy me. Being with God restores perspective. He discerns their end. He sees the emptiness of the things he was envying. 
He sees the futility of the craving that he had. That playing the game, being unjust, seeking after what everyone else is seeking after, doesn't end up bringing him what he wants. He discerns the end. Verse 18, he writes, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He compares that experience like a dream, whether it's for them or for God. In a moment, it's over. And it could be like that sometimes when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know if you're familiar with that expression, right? When you're comparing yourself to others and what other people have versus yourself and you get near to God and it brings perspective. Oh Lord, my life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. My life is like the width of a hand. It's like a breath, God. It's like the grass that is thrown into the oven and it's, it's not there anymore. I'm like the flower that fades and so are all the other people that I compare myself to. All the things that we do here in New Hope Church, it'll be a miracle if anybody remembers that we were here 50 years from now, right? We all want to establish a legacy, sure. We all want to be able to somehow defeat death by being remembered even after we die. It's the craving of us all. But it's very likely that nobody will. We all will return to the dust. And being with God reminds us of that humanity. It brings perspective back to us. Before you used to compare what you have to what they have to what you have. But when you get near God, you compare who God is to what they have. Can I say that again? When you're disconnected from God and you're, you're, you're just immersed in what others have and what you crave, you compare what they have to what you have. But when you draw near to God and the people of God, you begin to compare what others have to who God is. And you say, God, you are sufficient for me. Money can't give me happiness. Fame and influence can't satisfy my desire to be known. I'm known by you. Productivity can satisfy my desire to be significant. All the nice stuff in the world can't cover my shame. Your presence, my creator, gives me joy. I can be unknown to most of the world, but known by you. My work would never give me the significance like your work for me in Jesus Christ. Your love makes me rethink everything that I thought would satisfy. Is that where your heart would go? Does drawing near to God restore your sanity? Are you able to discern the end of the things that you crave? If you struggle with the trap of comparison this morning, being here, drawing near to God like this brings perspective. The second thing it does is it brings conviction. So you might say, is that all God's presence does? Does it just make you think about how it ends for others? No. It brings conviction in your own heart too. Notice what happens with Asaph. Verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant towards you. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. So he was becoming bitter, bitterness filled his heart, but then he went to be with God and notice what happened. He was pricked in heart. He was convicted of sin in his own heart. 
He got near God and it's not just that he thinks about the wickedness of others anymore. He thinks about what's in his own heart and he says, I was ignorant, God. That thing that I was thinking about how it's been pointless to serve you, that reaction that I had that I wanted to walk away from you, I was like an animal towards you. I was like a beast towards you. But nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. So being with God brings a conviction of his own sinfulness and God's faithfulness in spite of that. He was acting like a beast. He was thinking like an animal in his relation to God. But nevertheless, God is still with him. God still holds his right hand. You see, most people, when they draw near to God in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, you see this, they have the same response. They are finally confronted with someone who's holy, with someone who's infinitely other, and their immediate response is, I'm going to die. I'm in the presence of someone who's holy. Right? I think I might have said this before. Like We love in, in God's presence here and we experience it. And it's not always in the goosebumps we feel or the hairs that stand on, it, uh, uh, on, the, on its end of our skin. Right? It's conviction in your heart. When you realize I'm in the presence of someone who's holy and immediately have this sense of conviction that God is infinitely other, you repent and you're comforted at the same time with His grace and mercy. The fact that you're in the presence of someone who's holy and yet patient and kind, loving and gracious and merciful, despite our ignorance. Here's a true story. I remember I was going through a season of life when I felt like God wasn't hearing anything that I was asking. And I stopped trusting that God was good. And I remember I went to this prayer service and everyone else seemed pretty excited about it, but I didn't really feel like praying and because it, it had felt like a while since God had heard my prayers and I was cynical. And as soon as we started praying, I closed my eyes and I knew that God was with us. And the reason is because tears started to just stream down my cheeks. And I, and I realized, oh God, I'm so sinful. And at the same time, there was this sense, this experience that I was safe and I was finally home. Now, that might not always happen to us, but it doesn't mean that God's not near so what do we do whenever we want to remind ourselves of this truth? What do we do in order to, to when we're trying to draw near God, and that will, what will bring that conviction? Well, it's when we draw near to God in Christ. We're reminded of both our sin and His grace. We look to the cross and reminded of our ignorance. But that's what we did. You know, people, you remember that song, uh, I forgot, is it... Uh, Joan Osborne, what if God were uh, like uh, among us, like a slob? Like, what would we do if God was around? Well, we, we know what we would do. We'd kill him. Because that's what we did. The holiest man of all the earth comes and walks among us, and we cannot stand the light. That's how it reminds us of how we acted towards God and how, how we felt about God. And it also reminds us of his willingness to nevertheless come near to us and show his grace and compassion towards us. When we hated God and God loved us by sending His Son to die for us. When we wanted nothing to do with Him and yet He sought after us in Jesus. When He became a lamb who was silent before our accusations even though we treated Him. We, we acted like beasts. And when we shake our fist towards God, what we might notice as we draw near to God is like Asaph. He uses that nevertheless 
to hold us by our hand. And we come to discover, going into that, thinking about the wicked who are prospering, we come to discover, God, I am the wicked man, the wicked woman you have prospered in sending Jesus for me. If you ever want an example of God prospering the wicked, we look no further than the human heart. There is no greater example of God prospering the wicked than when he loved us and gave his own son for us. And being with God altered Asaph's heart. It gave him perspective. It brought conviction. It changed him. It changed what he loved and what he desired because I want you to listen to this as we close. What he says at the end. Keep in mind, he starts his prayer thinking about all the things he wants. He's envious of the arrogance of of the wicked and what they have, their wealth. And he says at the end of it all, after being with God, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe you can experience that today? I told you in the beginning to think about the moments and the situations and the people where you are tempted to go into that trap of comparison. Do you believe that today, when you're tormented by comparisons, you can draw near to God and at the end of it, this can be your prayer. God, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I believe that as we draw near to God right now, He can do this work, this miraculous work in our heart now of bringing perspective and conviction of both our sin and His love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the gift and the privilege it is to come into your presence. Thank you, God, we can trust that you are here simply because you say so. Not because we're righteous, not because we're deserving. Because, Jesus, you said that you will never leave or forsake us, God. So we draw near to you right now. Lord, we so easily let the city seep into us. And we strive so hard to accomplish and achieve. And so much of our joy is tied to what others have and what others are doing or expect God. And we ask right now as we think about your mercy and your grace that you would be our treasure, that there would be nothing on earth that we desire besides you. 